0: Well, we are in week three of our series. We are looking at the parables, or some of the parables, and parables are stories that Jesus told, stories about ordinary, everyday things that give us a glimpse of something that is neither ordinary or just sort of everyday, the kingdom of God, something incredible. And this morning, we're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew, looking at chapter 13, where Jesus tells two back-to-back parables, parallel parables, say that five times fast, parallel parables, and they both are communicating the same big idea. And so I think when Jesus did this, it was his way of saying, don't miss this. It's so important. I'm going to tell you this basically twice through two different stories. Beginning in verse 44, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in the field, which a man found and then covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells everything he has, all he has, and he buys that field. Second story. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had and bought it. The parables of the hidden treasure and the parable of the pearl of great value. These two stories have one key similarity. Someone finds something that changes everything someone finds something and it changes everything whether it's the man in the first story or the merchant in the second story they find something of indescribable unimaginable value and worth so much that in an instant it reprioritizes everything about their lives changes everything they knew a moment ago about what matters most to the extreme where they will sell everything. Is there anything in this world that you would sell everything for? Some of you have a favorite sports team. I know my friend Juan here. He would sell a lot for the 49ers to win the Super Bowl this year. Anyone, any Bills fans that would sell a few things off to, to see a Super Bowl come to Buffalo? But what would you sell all? Not some things, but what would you sell all to have? So the similarity here is something dramatic happens. The main difference between these two stories is that in the first story, the man stumbles upon the treasure. In fact, in Israel back then, they had no banks. They had no place to secure their wealth. And so if there was an invading army or if there were thieves... Often people would go out into the fields that they owned and they would take their most valuable possessions and they would take their wealth and they would put them in clay pots and they would dig holes into the ground and they would bury and they would bury their treasure in the field that they owned and where they lived. But if something happened to them, if the invading armies came and conquered them or, 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 or whatever happened, they passed away, that treasure would just sit in that field unfounded until somebody walked through the field and came across the treasure, and that's what happens. In the first story, he stumbles upon the treasure. In the second story, the merchant doesn't stumble upon the pearl, he's searching for the pearl. He's seeking for it. And the point being this, whether you stumble upon the kingdom of God, so to speak, or whether you go seeking for the kingdom of God, once you see it for what it is, it's a treasure of unimaginable worth that changes everything. There's a treasure, and there's a pearl of great value. So three things we're going to learn from these two stories. And actually, we're mostly just going to look at the first story this morning. But three things that we're going to learn together. Number one, there are treasures we all want. Number two, there is a price we all pay. And then number three, there is a treasure we all need. Okay? There are treasures we all want. There's a price we all pay. There is a treasure we all need. First, there are treasures we all want. There's a lot of movies about treasure, A lot of movies about treasure hunts, and I just wrote down some of the ones that came to mind last night as I was thinking about it. Indiana Jones, right? Hunting after different treasures. National treasure. Uh, The Pirates of the Caribbean is one of the most famous series of pirate movies where they're searching for some sort of gold or some sort of treasure. There's actually a new show on Netflix I saw the other day. It's a modern-day show about hunting for treasure, pirate treasure. I I thought we were past it, but I guess we're still doing it. Uh, These people are searching, uh, based on a legend, for pirate gold. It's an actual show on Netflix. And then the greatest treasure hunting movie of all time for me, since I'm a child of the 80s, is The Goonies, right? So you, you all have your favorite movie about treasure hunting, but whatever movie you watch I actually believe that every story in every movie actually is about somebody on the search for a treasure because we all have treasures. So maybe they're not searching for a pirate's chest. Maybe they're not searching for a pot of gold. But maybe somebody in the movie is searching for self-respect. That's their treasure. Maybe the person in the movie is searching for the affection or the admiration of another person. Maybe it's freedom from personal demons. Maybe it's victory over an opponent or inner peace financial security, a better life. Whatever it is, we all have treasures. And if you think of sort of your life as a treasure map, on every treasure map, where, how do we know where the treasure is? There is a big X, right? An X marks the spot. And on a treasure map, the X does two things for us. It drives us, it compels us, it, it's the wind behind our back, it pushes us, it gets us up in the morning knowing that that X is out there on the map. But it doesn't just drive us, it, 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 it guides us, it aims us, it directs us, it orients us towards something. And it's the same in life. Everyone goes through life with something driving them, pushing them, making them get up in the morning, making them keep going but also there's something guiding you. And whatever most consistently drives you and guides you, that's your treasure. That is the X on your map. And whatever that treasure is, you will sell all to have it. Though this past week, our, as a church, we're, we're doing a summer shared Bible reading plan through the book of Psalms. And it's been, a, it's off to a great start. It's not too late to get in. The devotionals, by the way, with this study, I think are the best we've ever read. They're fantastic. And the comments and the interaction, I'm really enjoying it. But on Friday, we were in Psalm chapter four. In Psalm chapter four, David is writing about a time where there's a famine and people are losing hope in God because they're not getting food and there's no rain and there's no harvest. And so what they're beginning to do is what we all do. When we can't trust God, We trust. Other gods. No one just stops worshiping God. When you stop worshiping God, what you actually do is you start worshiping other gods. Because we're always worshiping something or someone. Because there's a treasure. There's an X on all of our maps. And so David is saying... You've given up trust in God, and now you're turning to foreign gods, and you're praying to this rain god, and this fertility god, and this harvest god. Look what he says in verse 6. These two verses are so powerful. He says, there are many, he's talking about those who are trusting in other gods, there are many who say, who will show us some good? Who will show us some good? And that is a question, by the way, that drives people through their lives. Where is the good life? What is the good life? Is the good life behind that job, behind that person, behind that accomplishment? Who will show us some good? And then David prays, lift up the light of your face upon us, O Lord. Show us your goodness. And verse 7 is so powerful, so profound. He says to God, God, you have put more joy in my heart than they, talking about the people who say, who will show us some good, worshiping and serving other gods. You have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and their wine abound. What's David saying here? David's saying that a famine with Jesus is better than a feast without Jesus. David is saying that the valley with Jesus is better than the mountaintop without him. See, there's a treasure And whatever you believe will show you some good in life, that's the treasure on your map. Now, There's probably, if you're like me, and if you're honest, there's probably multiple X's on your map at different times, right? Different treasures that you want. Approval, acceptance, control, power, security. And it kind of varies sometimes. I was listening, I I thought about this because I was listening to an interview this week, a podcast. They're interviewing the actor Jack Black, uh, School of Rock. He's the voice in Kung Fu Panda. But Jack Black was talking about um, how anxious he gets when he doesn't know what his next job is. He's not like a nobody, I mean, this is an established, I'm pretty sure he's wealthy enough that he never has to financially work again. I'm pretty sure he's always going to have a job because he's Jack Black. Yet when he doesn't know for sure where his next job is, he can't get his heart to rest. He's anxious. The treasure on his map, the X on his map is his next job, which represents you chose me, you like me, you want me, I'm still relevant, right? But then he went on to say this. I thought this was interesting. He said, When I am working, I can't wait to stop working. (laughs) I'm getting up early in the morning and I'm on the set and I'm doing, clocking in, get my makeup on, and all I'm thinking about is my first week off of work. How good it's gonna feel to do nothing. And then he said, But then I start, I get to that week, and two days in, I'm like anxious again. Where's my next job? What am I gonna do? What's happening? The X on his map is just moving around, right? Um, accomplishment, uh, achievement, productiveness, rest, my own schedule, my own timeline. But then you get one, and then you realize, no, 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 I want the other one. And most of us spend our lives just chasing the X's on our map, treasures, because we all have treasures. And the way we get to our treasures, by the way, can be very different. You could have the exact same treasure as somebody else. You could both treasure approval but have very different ways of getting it. One of you might go chasing after approval by being a very good person. We, last week, Pastor Anthony had talked about the two lost sons, right? The elder brother who behaved very well, the younger brother who broke all the rules. But they both actually had the same treasure in their hearts. They wanted the father stuff and not the father. So you might look at someone and go, oh, what a fool. Why do they live that way? But they actually might be chasing the same ex you're chasing, but they got a different path to it. For example, the way you get respect from other people as a teenager is different than the way you get respect from your coworkers when you're a young professional, right? Hopefully, you, you, you do things differently. The, the control, the, the treasure of control or power or influence, it will drive you and guide you one way when you're with your family, right? If you want control, it, gui- it guides you and drives you one way in your family relationships, but it actually guides you and drives you differently in your work relationships. It shows up in different ways. Same treasure, different paths. So, what, so the treasure may change, the path may change, but the one thing that's constant is this. There are always treasures we all want. There's not a single person sitting in this room or watching online that doesn't battle against the treasures in this life that guide them and drive them. Now, the scriptures actually give us a very helpful explanation for why we are the way we are. Anyone want to know why you are the way you are? Uh, well, the scriptures help us know. And I'll, hopefully, this will be memorable because I'm going to give you three chapters that all, or three, yeah, three chapters, and they're all the third chapter in their book Genesis 3, Ecclesiastes 3, and John 3. Okay, I'm going to be really quick here. Genesis 3, we see the fall of man, we see sin enter the world, and immediately in that moment, we see the loss of innocence. We see the loss of uh, perfection. We see the loss of relationship with God. And we see the loss of wholeness, which the Hebrew word is shalom. That there is this brokenness now that forever pervades our being so that every single one of us is born with this sense of uh, something has been lost along the way. And I don't know where I lost it, but it's not with me anymore. Genesis 3. Ecclesiastes 3, verse 11, the author says this, God has set eternity in every single person's heart, which simply means this, you will be restless forever until you find your rest in Christ. There is a sense within every single person that they are here for reasons beyond what's here and now. And they can't shake it, why? Because God set eternity in your heart. And then John 3, 16, the most famous verse in the scriptures, for God so loved the world that he sent his only son, Jesus, that all who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. So there is this reality that we have been saved and that there is a love out there somewhere that would save us. And most of the lives that we live and most of the stories that we read are related to searching for a love that will save us. That's sort of a treasure. And so the Bible tells us, Genesis 3, we've lost so much. Ecclesiastes 3, eternity is set right inside of our hearts. John, John chapter 3, there's a love that saves us and we're searching for it. All of our searching for treasure is related to these truths, but also All of our searching for treasure always leaves us wanting more. The Rolling Stones had it exactly right when they said, I can't get no satisfaction. And if you've read the lyrics of that song, it's Mick Jagger, basically, or whoever wrote it, basically saying, I've tried everything. And those guys had everything. I've tried it all, and nothing satisfies. What do we do with this? How do we make sense of this? C.S. Lewis, who was a professor at Oxford um, and an atheist, Uh, He came to faith in Christ by seeking after truth. He certainly didn't stumble upon the kingdom. He went searching for the kingdom, and he became one of the great Christian voices and apologists of our time. He wrote a wonderful book called Mere Christianity, which is a must-read if you've struggled with just understanding the basics of our faith and is, is, is this intellectually credible, the Christian faith? Mere Christianity is the book to read or to give to someone who's asking that question. In it, he writes something that I think is super helpful. This is a much longer quote than I would normally read to you, so just trust me that it's valuable, and it's going to be on the screen for you. C.S. Lewis says, says that the christian says creatures are born with are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists a baby feels hunger well that's because there is such a thing as food a duckling wants to swim well there is such a thing as water men feel sexual desire well there is such a thing as sex and then this is his most famous quote from this If I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. He goes on to unpack it a little more. If none of my earthly pleasures satisfy it, that does not prove that the universe is a fraud. Probably earthly pleasures were never meant to satisfy it, but only to arouse it or to suggest the existence of the real thing. If that is so, I must take care on the one hand never to despise or be unthankful for these earthly blessings, but on the other hand, this is so important, never to mistake them for something else of which they are only a kind of copy or echo or mirage. Paul in Romans Basically, he says it this way, that we exchanged our love for the creator for the love of the created things. And the danger here is that we fall in love with the treasures of this world when really they were meant to point us to the greater treasure. And he finishes his quote this way. I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find until after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of my life to press on to that country and to help others do the same. The treasures we all want are valuable. And the reason why they're valuable mostly is because they remind us that we were created for another world. But the treasures of this world are also dangerous. The danger is that we settle for them. We think it's all that there is. We settle for so little when Christ offers us so much. There are treasures we all want. All right, second point this morning from this parable is there's a price we all pay. The man and the merchant, they go all in. It's crazy. They sell everything. I mean, in one instant, they take everything. They take their houses. They take their vehicles. They take their retirement fund, and they trade it all in for the field where they found the treasure or for the pearl of great value. And as crazy as that seems, and as hard as it may be for you to identify with that and, and to make sense of that, it's actually human nature, because human nature is once we see something amazing, we will pay so much to have it. We will give so much to be near it. We will sacrifice so much for it. We give up so much pursuit so much in pursuit of the treasure. Another way we could say it in the light of this story is everyone buys a field. The only question is, which field are you buying? And what treasure is in the field that you're buying? Because whatever you love most, you will sell all to have it. It's our human nature. Henry David Thoreau, the 19th century American journalist and philosopher, he said it this way. He said, the price of anything is the amount of life you will exchange for it. The price of anything is the amount of life You will exchange for it. And listen, people go throughout life exchanging all sorts of things for things that they believe to be their treasure. Let me give you some examples. Some people exchange their integrity for success. The X on the map is success. And so they're gonna cheat, steal, lie because the treasure, and by the way, once you've decided something is your treasure, you you will do anything to have it. You will do anything. You'll do things you swore you would never do to have that treasure. Some people exchange their integrity for success. Some people trade relationships for results. Some people exchange results for relationships. Some people exchange, we see this in politics, and and some people will exchange truth for power. doesn't matter if it's true or not, as long as it gets me more power, because their treasure is power. Some people exchange peace of mind for prosperity. Some people exchange kindness for control. I've learned it's hard to have both of those, If I'm a controlling person, which is a weakness of mine, when I am in a controlling moment, it's hard for me to be kind to people. But some people exchange kindness for control. Some people exchange their family for their career. Some people exchange the good of others for personal gain. Some people exchange personal freedoms so that they will feel morally superior to other people who don't exercise their freedoms the way that they do or the way that they don't. And some people will exchange God's definition of truth for their definition of freedom. But whatever it is, everybody's selling something to buy something to have the treasure. We all sell something to buy the field so we can have the treasure. There's a price we all pay. And then lastly this morning, I'm going to have the musicians join me. There is a treasure we all need. You know, our society, we love stories of transformation. Love stories of transformation. House renovation shows. Uh, we love seeing someone come in and take a dump and just uh, and, and make it into this incredible building, this incredible, this incredible. That sounded really strange, didn't it? Did it, it, it was I, I heard it I, as soon as I said it? I heard it. Let me start. Let me start that over. Wow, that's weird. I guess we'll use the first video for the online service now. <laughs> we love seeing people come in and take a dump of a house or a a terrible place and turn it into an amazing place. You won't remember a single other thing I said this morning now. (laughs) My daughters and I watched this show called uh, Restaurant Impossible. And in Restaurant Possible, Chef Robert Irvine, he comes into these struggling restaurants and he transforms them. He gives them a new menu. He gives them new systems. But my daughter, Caroline's favorite part is when he takes the terrible room and he makes it into something beautiful. We love seeing that. And in this story, what a mistake if we read this story and we don't realize the transformation that happened in the individuals in this story, how transformed this man was. How transformed this merchant was. One of the commentators says it this way, 15 minutes before this man's discovery in the field, the thought of selling everything he had to buy it would have seemed ludicrous and ridiculous. If someone came up to him as he was walking through the field and said, hey, I got a deal for you. Sell everything you have and you can have this field. He would have said, you're crazy. No way am I going to sell everything I have for this field. But 15 minutes after he found the treasure, (laughs) it was the only thing that made sense with great joy, with no hesitation, no hemming and hawing, no struggle. He just ran off and sold everything. Why? Because he'd seen the treasure. And listen, one of the dangers of this parable is that you're gonna think that the point of this parable is that you have to sell everything you have to have Jesus. And I know that'll preach, and I know a lot of people preach that, and there's some truth in there, but that's not the point of this parable. The point of this parable is not that you must sell all to secure the treasure for yourself. The point of this parable is that if you are unwilling to sell all, it's because you haven't yet seen the treasure. Because this parable is not about you having the treasure. This parable is about the treasure having you. And everybody's heart is owned by some treasure could be the treasure of acceptance, the treasure of the perfect relationship, the treasure of perfect children, the treasure of the good life, the treasure of financial security, the treasure of a specific physique or a certain future. But there's a treasure that has you, and this parable is saying that there's a greater treasure. In the kingdom of God, listen, the greatest treasures are not the things that the kingdom offers, but the greatest treasure in the kingdom of God is the king himself, King Jesus. Jesus is the treasure. In Hebrews chapter 12, here's how the author of Hebrews says it. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely to us, which I find very interesting that there are things we have to lay aside that aren't even sin, but they just slow us down. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Sounds good, right? Everybody in this room is probably trying. How? How are we going to run the race with endurance? Well, verse 12, looking to Jesus. You'll never run the race if you don't keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. You'll never sell all. You'll never buy the field if you don't first see the treasure that Jesus is. Now, how did Jesus do what he did? Well he was an ultimate example for us. Look at Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who what? For the joy that was set before him, his treasure endured the cross, despised the shame, and he's now seated at the right-hand side of our God. Now listen. What was the joy set before Jesus? What was his treasure? What was the axe on his map? It was you. It was me. It was bringing lost children home to the Father. So how did Jesus go to the cross? How did he take those whips upon his back? How did he endure the nails through his hands and through his feet? How did he endure the shame and the rejection and the sins of the world crash? How did he do it? Because he had a treasure and it was you. You are his treasure. See, every other treasure in this world would say, you come find me and you kill yourself. You die to have me. But Jesus is the one treasure who said, I will come and find you and I will die to have you. Jesus is the treasure. Being religious without Jesus is no treasure at all. Living moral without Jesus is no treasure. Gaining wealth without Jesus is no treasure. Grabbing power without Jesus is no treasure. Finding pleasure apart from Jesus is no treasure. Doing good works without Jesus is no treasure. Living sacrificially, giving generously, serving others, going to church, without Jesus, it's no treasure. Neither is living life your own way, defining your own truth. There's no treasure out there in that. The kingdom of God without Jesus is no treasure. Heaven itself without Jesus would not be a treasure because Jesus Christ himself is the treasure. And when you see Jesus paying the ultimate price to have you, you will pay any price to honor him. He is the treasure we all need. Let's pray together this morning.